motherfucker, you have a responsibility to speak recklessly. People. Otherwise, my kids may never know what reckless talk sounds like. People the joys of being wrong. I didn't come here to be right. Just give me the fuck around. People like games. That's fucking outstanding. What up, what up? And welcome to episode 75 of People Like Games. I'm Solo. And I'm Lilo. And you are, as per usual, tuning into the best damn podcast in the gaming industry. Trademark, trademark, trademark. Pew, pew, let's go. Let's go, baby. And uh, before I jump into things, I'm going to start the show off with a question. And that question will be, Lilo, how's your week been? Or how's your week going, rather? I appreciate that. Uh, the short week that we've had thus far, it's been pretty standard, but... A lot of good things happening in the realm of PLG, and I'm excited to uh, record this podcast tonight. So, all in all, pretty great, pretty standard. What about you? I like to think I am living the dream, but (laughs) I have yet to see the evidence to support it. Anywho, you know how we get a jump in on the show. And from the top, it's plug walk time. And... We're going to begin as we do with the tweeter and at people like games is a handle at Lilo PLG. You can find Lilo at Bezos PLG. You can find Mr. Bezos who will be joining us soon in quick plug. We're going to be getting our streaming up soon. PLG live is the Twitch name. So follow us for now. And you can also find us on Instagram at people like games. I think there might be a pattern here and you can find us <laughs> on our subreddit, our backslash people like before? games. And you can find the show on the usual suspects. That is Spotify, Apple podcast, SoundCloud, Ditcher, Google podcast, play, whatever they do. And uh, everywhere by title, which we're still we're still working towards. We got we have an eventual on that one. Yep. But uh, otherwise, the last thing I need to plug is uh, obviously the most important: the soiree do gaming. If you're in Long Island, May third at Launchpad Huntington, we Hello. have a whole bunch of partners lined up. We have Microsoft, Starbucks. GameStop, Ben and Jerry's, Escape Pod Comics. We have Amelia's Bakehouse. We have some really big uh, names that are tentatively going to be joining that we're going to be announcing soon, hopefully. Tickets mm-hmm, are on Eventbrite. Mm-hmm. It's $5. If you don't buy tickets at Eventbrite, the tickets are for sale at the door as well. Come eat, drink, game, chill, trivia. May 3rd, 6 p.m., launch at Huntington, Eventbrite. Now, over to Lilo for a little bit of the talk, baby. Table of contents. What can you expect this fun podcast episode? And we're going to start out with our newly minted favorite segment. Hotcakes, baby. Solo hates it. I love it. And I'm still calling it hotcakes. We're giving you the one line of the industry. I'm calling that TB dubs uh, forever. You don't need to know anything more in the hotcakes than the one liner that we're reading to you. 
After that, we're gonna follow it up with our standard quick scope, giving you the quick scope of the industry, letting you know all the gaming news that you should and will know from us for the past week of the 24th. And then follow that up with Solo Something or Another. He'll be talking about something or another, whatever he wants to do with a little deep dive on. And unfortunately, no game spotlight this week, no rumor mill, but we're gonna be wrapping it up with a fun final lap because we have uh, one nation, let's say, making some big waves in the gaming industry. So without further ado, Solo, let's kick it off with them. Yep, that's right. Uh, I made that the sound cue myself. The first sizzle, first hotcake, baby, that we got going on is for you Fortnite fans. Avengers is coming back to Fortnite this week with the crossover event for Endgame. That's that's all you need to know. Yep, if you played before, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Solo. And speaking of Fortnite, we're going to stay on the topic, but taking a little bit of a different direction. And in this case. A total of 1,221 players were caught cheating during the first week of qualifiers for the Fortnite World Cup. Uh, 200 of, 206 shit. of those competitors won monetary prizes, and the uh, penalties range from account sharing to playing along with or partnering with someone in a solo queue match to the most egregious one which was a player a professional player competitive player using a cheat software to see other players locations i'm surprised they're not able to find that off the bat next up we're gonna stay on the topic of battle royales but in case you wanted to know this person this not this person rather this company is still very much in the mix PUBG corp has seen 920 million dollars in revenue for 2018 that is almost a billion dollars for those of you who know math pc counted for 720 million of the total revenue with over half of that coming from asia they are very much players in the game all righty yeah, those are the hotcakes we got for you. So, Solo, cue it up and rolling over to the motherfucking QS. Quick scope, baby. Uh, I wanted Real to give quick. you some gaming news with this first story. And this first story is just sort of about what the best selling games of 2019 have been. You know, we're about the quarter way through the year. We're getting into the summer when all the uh, new announcements come forward. So, let's reflect in the past a little bit and see what we got going on. Well, if you're wondering what the top-selling game of 2019 was, that is none other than our favorite game. I just mumbled a lot. None other than our favorite game. Kingdom Hearts 3, baby. Kingdom Hearts 3 is and the king of the year far. I mean, it was underwhelming to play. However, people like ourselves were hit with the nostalgia factor, and we had to buy it. We had to have it. But uh, other, sales, or rather, other sale announcements and other um, lists came out, so I just want to give you a quick rundown. Top 10 games for the month of March were, number one, Clancy's Division 2. Number two, Secure Shadow Eyes Twice, makes sense. Number three, MLB The Show, which I didn't really understand. Number four, Devil May Cry 5. Number five is Smash. Number six, number six, wow, is Red Dead 2. Red Dead 2. Number seven, 2K19. Uh, number eight is GTA 5. Holy shit, how is that still on this list? Oh my goodness. Number nine, Yoshi's Crafted World. And number 10, Call of Duty Black Ops. And yeah, for the year, the same five I'll just list off. Kingdom Hearts is taking the top 
Number two is The Division. Number three is Anthem, which I expected to be higher on the list, and apparently it was not last month, unfortunately. Number four is Resident Evil 2, in the surprise resurgence of the nostalgic games. And number five is Rudder 2, baby. That's uh, coming in for the year, so clearly got some heavy hitters on top, but then some names you'd expect to be there, like Bioshock's Anthem, uh, or Bioware's Anthem. Not Bioshock's Anthem. Jesus. I'm all over the place right now. Sorry. Those are the stats. I'm not surprised that we have some big names at the top, all the AAA titles, but I am happy Kingdom Hearts is currently the leader of the year. You got any feelings about that? Uh, a couple of noteworthy sort of statistics to me would be that uh, in the past, would be the monthly sort of sales, and I, and I think those are sort of uh, obvious, which is hardware sales fell 15% for the month, which made sense because there's no games driving any sales, right. which would right, right, go right. to the industry seeing an 11% overall drop, which is, I feel like all the games that were going to come out have come out. And, you know, even at this point, we're sort of searching for a game, which Sekiro I do want to get. But like, other than that, I'm not going to play the Division, MLB, etc. Red Dead yeah, surprising exactly. to see that it has slow sales, but simultaneously, <clears throat> because it's online, didn't hitch. It's the same reason we're not, that Grand Theft Auto Five is still there, because sort of like a Minecraft mm. version of sort of perpetual insane? infinite. GTA? Right? But still on the list, man. Uh yeah. Nah, so a few surprising slots. Um Kingdom Hearts 3 just shows the ever continuing power of the Disney machine. And now we're going to jump over to a little bit of Epic Games. And in this case, Fortnite again. But in a different manner, because this is based on a Polygon article that was published today, and it basically details the crunch culture that exists at the company and basically how a number of workers end up having to work between 70 and 100 hours a week, given the perpetual patches that the game does release, which does make sense, uh, on top of what I imagine is all of the uh, programmers required to keep a game of that scale running properly in the first place, uh, in addition mm -hmm. to all of the competition it has. So to keep an organism that large alive is not easy and it requires a lot of bodies. And a couple of the, the interesting parts that were mentioned in the stories to me were that, you know, you're allowed to take the company gives us unlimited time off, but it's almost impossible to take the time off. If I take the time off, the workload falls on other people and no one wants to be that guy. Who he says you basically end up 70 hours a week at that rate. That is something that I very much understand. And it's something that anyone who's worked in a situation where they're friends with their coworkers and you're going to perpetually be there, you don't want to be there even when you personally have something to do. And I think it's sort of like how companies like Google exist as well. Well, they'll give you everything you need in the space, in your workspace, but then why are you leaving? What do you have to do mm -hmm. that you can't do yeah. here sort of deal? So they're not going to yeah. say, don't leave, but it's like, why are you leaving? No one else left yet. So it's like a leave first policy. So on, in addition, now pressure. lastly, to yeah, peer pressure. And you know, to the last point, which is how a lot of these end up or a lot of these developers end up working, as we know, on limited term contracts. So 
if you're working on a limited term contract and you know the nature of the industry and you're given more work than you were contracted for, you know what you're doing? The work. Because mm-hmm. you don't want you that don't reputation. It. Whatever the case is, that falls on you personally. So not my favorite uh, thing, but it's also not surprising because I just there's just not enough people with the specific skill sets that are required. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's sort of asinine to me that the the compensation of an industry that makes so much money and the developers of them that in and of themselves don't get paid semi-analogous to unions unions exactly and very very semi-analogous to the writers guild of america uh and the sort of strikes that they went on if you remember famously like 2008 2009 and upcoming their negotiations now too but it's just you know writers make the shows they should get compensated but Mm -hmm. you know that sort of deal so who knows what do you think they'll be surprising we'll see it yeah is it surprising? Definitely not. We know about the crunch. All right, not, but not we crunch, need we yeah. need we need a mood lifter here. So we do. do we have anything we on deck? Oh, don't worry. You know I do. Uh, thank you to our editor who found this wonderful article for me, particularly. Uh, this article is definitely mood lifter because you all know that I'm about the happiness and making sure that there's accessibility and equality in the gaming industry and that like all people are accounted for. That includes, you know, those people with unfortunate physical disabilities or disabilities, ailments, whatever you want to call them. I'm combining a lot of words today, but anyway, uh, there's a charity out there called Able Gamers, and Able Gamers is trying to make gaming accessible for everybody, and so. They've long fought for the needs and desires of gamers in general. Well, they recently just launched Accessible.Games, which is a website with free resources for all of the game developers out there who want their games to be more accessible to the community. This is an awesome, awesome endeavor. You can actually, I mean, I went to the website already and I've uh, poked around, but so they essentially have two parts to the website. The first is the Accessible Experiences Portal. That's what they're titling it. It's got a comprehensive list of tips and guidelines that offer suggestions for how your game could be controlled to letting players skip content if they can't complete a certain section in order to help the game that you're creating be more accessible to those essentially people with disabilities, not just kids. I was going to say kids, but I realized that's just uh, eliminating a huge factor, a huge, um, what is it, section of that community. Regardless... That's the first part. The second part is the player panels, and this is where the gamers with disabilities can sign up and actually offer feedback for the game themselves. Developers can then interact with those individuals and use this as an opportunity to test out new ideas and features with the audience that they normally wouldn't have direct access to. Because a lot of times game developers, yeah, they have a small set of beta testers and they have a small set of internal testing going on, but they never really get people from the community that they're searching for to to give feedback and this is a situation where able gamers is creating essentially the location in which you can interact with those developers if you wanted to to make sure that your game has uh, incorporated the needs of the people and that's really really cool i think it's really heartwarming awesome to see able gamers charity it's been around there for a while and is doing great work they have a whole bunch of uh, fundraisers and charity events going on all over the country and they're doing a lot of cool things especially with this upcoming charity event they have going on. But yeah, regardless, accessible.games. If you're a developer out there listening to the show, check it out. You got all the tools necessary to make sure that your game is accessible for everybody if you want it to be. Is that uplifting enough for you? That's pretty cool. 
That is. That is. And speaking of, shout out to our event partner, Microsoft, for creating things like an accessibility Ooh. controller. There you to go. Further these causes. They actually, and they worked, they worked with Able Gamers, so that's a good call. Speaking of worthy causes, Soiree Do Gaming, we are going to be doing raffles, and those uh, proceeds will be going 100% to the Only Love Foundation. That's at Only Love mm-hmm. Foundation on Instagram, onlylovefoundation.org. Uh, great charity run by great people and check it out donate and come to the event which they'll be part of as well and so anyway now on to our next story which finally brings us over to nintendo which i always enjoy talking about because we like nintendo we want nintendo to join us nintendo we're doing it um and this is actually pretty big news, and in this case, uh, Tencent has been granted permission to distribute the Nintendo Switch by the Guangdong province of China, and that has resulted in a uh, 70, 17% increase of the Nintendo the stock. Shares? Oh granted, my god, we should have bought, one thing. Man. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, but it's crazy expensive already to, from the get-go. I think it's like three-something a stock from it's the like get-go. Um, but it's the highest jump since October of last year when, uh, you know, they were basically anticipating the launch of Smash and what that would bring. So it makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, to understand that they haven't even tapped into the Chinese market yet with sales of the Switch. It's disgusting. And, you disgusting. know, following up on, you know, rumors that we've already covered before, which is why we didn't add it to the rumor mill this week of a cheaper Switch and a more expensive one, a cheaper one right. in, in an area like China, which will be distributed by guess who? Where it at? Uh, where it at? Where you already it? know. Exactly. You already yeah. know. Get that money. Get that money. And you know Tencent in the building. But... Uh, it is very advantageous, uh, especially with what we'll be talking about in the final app to make this deal and partnership with Nintendo. Anyway, that's all I've got. We're we're international here, so, so uh, money, I'm going to be continuing so on my international trail for the rest of the quick scope. So now, Lilo, takes on to our next story. Well, the next story involves science, baby, because I'm all about them statistics and them science. Uh, this is a funny article <laughs> that I actually stumbled across. It's a funny story in general, but there's been talk about video games in general and how it can affect the public. We'll get into more of this a little bit later, but a lot of countries are concerned. Well, Norway is concerned too, and Norway is in Europe, in case you're wondering. They actually had a study done in the country about their kids. And good news, ladies and gentlemen, and really just gentlemen, the study has found that playing video games generally does not harm a boy's social development. Woo! Yeah, for all those people that said video games are bad for you, apparently this is a study done. Uh, So I'm going to give you some facts about this. So it was a longitudinal study done in Norway that looked at how playing video games affects the social skills of 6 to 12-year-olds, so the youngins out there, the younglings, as those Star Wars fans would know. It found that playing games affected youth differently by age and gender, but not that generally speaking gaming was associated with social development. The author of this study did find, though, that games did negatively affect a girl's social development, which I thought was... (laughs) was really really weird um several factors had to be included into the actual study just to 
give you a whole idea, holistic idea of what they were trying to go for. The researchers took into consideration several factors, including gender, because boys tend to spend more time gaming than girls and maybe more likely to display lower levels of social competence. Uh, socioeconomic status, if you're richer, obviously you have more access to these expensive consoles and games. That might just make sense. Body mass index. Apparently, this makes sense to me, but it's also shaming in a sense. Anyway, BMI, because BMI in girls is associated with more gaming with in youth because higher BMIs tend to have more problems with social competence. And the last thing would be amount of time youth spent gaming with friends since those friends uh, have more opportunities to practice social skills with each other than kids who game alone. So the studies at the end find that times boys spent gaming did not affect their social development. As I told you, girls who spent more time playing video games at age 10 developed weaker social skills two years later than girls who spent less time playing games. Girls who play video games are more socially isolated and have less opportunity to practice social skills with other girls, which may affect their later social competence, meaning if you started games earlier and younger, you were less likely to be socially outgoing when you were 12 years old. And children who struggled socially at ages 8 and 10 were more likely to play games at 12, kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. What they did realize is that, or rather what they, the cause and effect here is interesting. It's like if a kid is socially incompetent, and when I say incompetent, it sounds really negative, but lacks social skills, let's go with that, is it going to drive them towards gaming? And they, they couldn't find a one-for-one one in either sense, in either direction, meaning was a kid socially you know, socially awkward and therefore he played more games, or did he play more games which made him socially awkward? It's You don't know. Is it the chicken or the egg? And so we go back and forth. <laughs> uh, so I just think Causation it's really cool. Causation all this exactly true yes causation correlation um all this is taken to account take it with a grain of salt it's a study it's an isolated study done in norway not a very big gaming community to my knowledge i would say united states or asia is a bigger one and you got all the statistics from their parents their parents were the ones who were asked 873 people uh children rather were were uh part of the study and parents i'm gonna were pause asked you to there and say that denmark is huge and csgo in particular so true you're right absolutely they're huge in csgo and i agree with that i i'm thinking like you're picking your nose while doing this <laughs> the diversity of all the games i i think it's funny because parents are biased and also may have inaccurate statistics whereas something like this done in lab setting could be more authentic and real. Uh, regardless, funny development, I wanted to highlight this. Um, I was a socially awkward boy, so this this fits with my my circle. I'm still socially incompetent, and I think- uh, I was just going shows. to say, and now as a socially awkward adult, <laughs> uh, I guess worked. Hey. Uh, uh, where am I? Where got. am I at? Where am I at? Where am I at here? You're staying, you're um, staying European. You're staying European. What do you got? We're staying European. We're saying, no, I was looking for a good sound cue, but I didn't have anything to be clever with. So. I suppose you think that was terrific. And shout out to 1A Trace. Wedding season, summer soon. And now we're going to, as we said, stay in Europe. And in this case, the European Esports Federation has been formed and the organization is going to be uh, considered a quote-unquote moderating partner rather than a governing body for the industry and will focus on uh, you know sort of just uh, supporting the 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 industry as it grows uh, they've also included a collective agreed upon 
definition of what esports consists of, though I could not find exactly where that was. But according to the Esports Observer, they have not signed uh, the document just yet, but that's more so uh, a formality. Oh, uh, excuse me. Um, I, I think I may have stumbled upon oh, it. Uh, you just misspoke. Oh, my God. You well, basically, their uh, point is that a large part of the industry is in private hands. And so it's one of the few industries that doesn't have that sort of collective governmental regulation. And so the countries, the 12, which include the UK, Belgium, Germany, Austria, Hungary, France, Russia, Slovenia, Serbia, Sweden, Turkey, Ukraine, uh, were also in attendance in Berlin at the Interactive Software Federation of Europe and et cetera, et cetera, with all of these groups. And you know, according to the German Esports Federation, one of the countries that's been very forward in terms of uh, trying to push esports to the forefront, uh, the president, Hans Jagnow, basically said that in times like these, we feel like the idea of Europe is a fragile one. And so a commitment from esports is a strong one. Europe is a future for many young people. And I think that it signals something good. Uh, I think I do agree uh, that at one point as the industry grows, uh, there will be forms of regulation that end up happening, if only because the size will merit it. Uh, the same way MLB is regulated, the same way all of the other uh, large leagues are uh, governed. And so you'll find very quickly how illegal it was to establish leagues without allowing unions for players to collectively negotiate uh, their fees. Or you won't, and this will be a sort of unprecedented version of uh, of sports, but with the way that a lot of esports, I guess, Games have now sorted have started to model their leagues on traditional sports. Uh, that's why I don't expect them to do anything different in that regard. So, anyway, uh, Europe's in it. We've already said, like I've said before, yeah. Europe's very forward on uh, getting mm-hmm. ahead hey, of man. these things. You know, mm-hmm. we said that a long time ago when I mentioned the domino effect. And so now that they have a collective esports federation, like I had said, it'll start in one country, it'll collectively grow. Now I would not be surprised to see the same collective countries, if not a few more, end up starting to decide to take collective look at loot boxes and then take collective action on loot boxes. So, uh, you know, watch that's out. Just a, UN's going to be talking about it and it's going to be worldwide decree no loot boxes. Yeah. Ask the ask the dooch. Ask the dooch. Oh my god. All right, that would fucking suck. Interesting article. It'll be fun. And part of our soon to be coming out newsletter where we'll be giving out the bibliographies. Hey. Bibliography, there bibliography. Go. We got to make hey, sure everyone knows where our stories be coming from. All right. I'm taking esports in general topic and I'm going to be rolling with it. But this is esports back in America, and normally this be a topic that solo this man here would cover. Uh, unfortunately, he's not, and I get the priv- privilege of doing this. Um, this privilege, excuse me. Uh, this is about Anthony God, and if you don't know who Anthony God is, he is the co-founder and president of In-Game Esports, which is an esports company dedicated to bring the sport of electronic 
entertainment to Atlantic City. Uh, I really phrased that strangely, but he's trying to bring esports to Atlantic City. For anyone who doesn't know, for anyone under the age, or for anyone who's not from the East Coast, Atlantic City is essentially the Vegas of the East Coast, okay? So you got Las Vegas, which is worldwide. Everyone knows about it. Atlantic City was the same back in the day until it started dying out. You can still do betting there, and Solo and I have covered... A you know, all these different rules and Supreme Court decrees and X, Y, and Z going down with esports and betting in general. Well, uh, New Jersey is a huge state for betting and they have their own gaming rules. So this is all about that relationship. You have Anthony God leading his in-game esports company uh, in talks actually with the New Jersey Online Gambling Committee. So there's a nice discussion and discourse between them and him going back and forth, but I'm going to surmise or summarize, not surmise. I'm going to summarize the, the highlights of this conversation. And really it is that major league gaming is trying to get into, uh, rather the New Jersey gaming commission is trying to get into major league gaming, but there are still, several factors associated with esports that they're leery about okay one of them being the drug testing that sh should or should not happen in gaming that has not been decided collectively across the united states and people don't really know it's like kids who play video games some of them have prescriptions for adhd medicine for instance and amphetamines amphetamines have been known to increase your focus and increase your reaction time make you sharper and better and because there's no drug testing you could have kids who don't have a prescription who aren't prescribed it because they don't have ADHD getting an advantage quote-unquote because they're taking these amphetamines drug testing is a big thing in esports I think it's a big thing in all sports which is as you know Adderall like, Adderall yeah, Adderall baseball, right Adderall really literally affects your gaming performance it affects anyone's focus it's banned in all of these other sports like football like soccer like baseball because apparently gives you an unfair cognitive advantage in whatever you're trying to do. Esports is no different. But that conversation is being had. That's one of the things that came up in this interview with uh, Anthony God. The other thing that came up is just that uh, the method in which the wagering will happen in Jersey is a little bit uh, confusing. And the idea is, do we want to wager in skin sales? So skin sales is a big thing that's happened in Counter-Strike, happened all over the world. A lot of the esports betting in the United States that's done illegally is through skin betting. And what you do is you essentially wager legendary skins that have a monetary value. The same way if you ever played World of Warcraft or something like that and went to the auction house, there was monetary value outside of the game that people would pay so that you would trade them a legendary skin. This is the same premise and it depends on the game that you're playing, but some things are very, very valued. There's thousands of dollars for an in-game virtual item and people are willing to pay that. So knowing the market value of that virtual product, you could then use that as a wager per se. I wagered you one legendary skin in Counter-Strike or not, not even Counter-Strike, something stupid like that. But like I wager you a legendary skin and uh, I say that this team is going to win this esports event let's just say overwatch shanghai versus uh philadelphia fusion and philadelphia fusion comes out on top i have to give you that skin but there are mechanisms done and back channels where that 
code for that skin is already given up so that like there's accountability on both sides. Anyway, long story short, this is a conversation that's been been had. And uh, I think the biggest thing is that the New Jersey Online Gambling Committee is actively looking at legislation to try and regulate esports gambling. And that is what you need to take from this. I know I rambled a little bit, but there's a lot of finer things to touch on. And uh, with esports betting currently totaling $10 billion um, across the globe, you can understand why some people want to dip their fingers in that pot and make sure that mm, us Americans, we got our uh, fingers in the pot of this esports gambling. So New Jersey is going to be the leader in that charge, and they have been for a while now. We've talked about them um, you know, for several months, honestly. So be on the lookout, New Jersey. If you want to gamble on esports, I think you can do it over over in New Jersey and Atlantic City legally. And that's going to be uh, very interesting. Very interesting. That's how you know it's a real sport, I think, at the end of the day. Esports is becoming a legitimate sport if people are gambling on it. What do you think? I think that was a lot of words. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, but simultaneously, I, I think that it is sort of unsurprising because we sort of expected the esports gambling to become a thing once the Supreme Court basically ruled that, you know, technically gambling was legal by nature, saying that you guys can decide whatever you want anyway. Uh, Atlantic City could thrive off of it. I'm sure Vegas will see this as well. And so uh, expect a lot of esports betting platforms to be popping up, sort of like the DraftKings shit that you saw pop up overnight. And you're like, the fuck is this? Yep. And so it'll be esports related as well. But anywho, I don't have much more to say other than we are on our last article here. For quick scope, and we're going to go all the way over to South Korea. And in this case, we are going to stay on the topic of a little bit of gambling. And in this case, rather loot boxes. And the South Korean uh, Fair Trade Commission has decided to conduct a review of uh, consumer regulation for mobile and computer games with a particular... uh, focus on in-game purchases and that includes loot boxes and so they have so far decided to look at nexcon blizzard and riot games the basic point uh that they're trying to look at are the (coughs) parental approval requirements for underage players to sign up as well as the refund processes required and the way that they are actually uh executed a lot of this makes sense i'm sure a lot of shady shit goes on and i'm sure a lot of parents aren't aware and uh, it is uh, a little surprising for korea to be behind the eight ball on something like this especially given how for all intents and purposes it would be fair to consider south korea sort of the capital of esports if not for anything but how good their players are <laughs> they're so fucking good but that's also and different because like each game TV each show. game has its specific uh you know designated Niche. geographic areas that are really good and so that's true that's true that was generalization that was only generally correct anyway <laughs> now <laughs> we're going to move on to 
<gasps> and away from Quicksilver 2. Oh, it is time for something or another, I suppose. I was going to get a donut before, but I decided against it because I was like, That's fuck it, really I'm like. just going to try to make this quicker than not. And I am sort of of the decision whether to get a donut or eat the ice cream I have waiting. And you don't want both. And so he's famished. He's famished. He needs his energy. That's why famished. he needs his energy. I'll probably, get, I'll probably eat both them shits. Anyway, now we are <laughs> going to talk about something thoroughly, totally unrelated. And that was on Sunday. We all know what day that was. The 30th anniversary of the Game Boy. Everyone There we go. A very special, go. very special holiday. And... Dude, people are handing out like eggs and shit and like colored candy. I'm like, dude, it's just a Game Boy. What, how is this related? But what is happening? Who am I to say? And it rose again. Yeah, who it rose exactly. again. Exactly. I was like, bro, I guess those are evolutions. The Game Boy is not rising again. But anyway, we have uh, a little bit of an interesting story about the creation of the Game Boy, and it was from a podcast I had been listening to, the Larry Wilmore podcast is called Black on the Air. Check it out. And he was interviewing an author, David Epstein, who has a book coming out called Range about how... Fucking sweet. Fucking sweet. Lilo's first time ever listening to one of my podcast recommendations and he enjoyed himself. So here's hoping, listeners, that he actually listens to the ones I send because there's a lot of great content out there and a lot of great podcasts, which (laughs) shout out to Exponent. He actually sends the ones that he says he sent, even though he never did. All I have to say is... uh, I got so many flows. I am a band. Hey! Oh, God. Hey, I knew hey. it was coming out. But anyway, I was waiting for it. It was going to come eventually, but when I least expected. And the point of my Game Boy uh, history is going to be slight and quick, and it's not going to be focused on anything but the creator, whose name is Gumpai Yokoi, and how he was hired as a, a maintenance person uh, to at the company, which Nintendo at the time was a playing card company because he did not have an advanced enough technological skill set to be able to get a job in Tokyo. And so while he was working at Nintendo, he started tinkering with the boxes that they had and the sort of technology had there, they had there. And he ended up coming up with a little portable console that, would not be as cutting edge technologically as what the competitors could put out, but would be at a price point that would allow it to be massively, you know, consumed and bought, etc. And so and produced. his thinking produced. was described as lateral thinking with wither technology. And it's very much the philosophy that has guided Nintendo since its creation. And the basic premise is that if you are able to create an experience that at a price point that everyone can be involved, it is a lot more likely for it to succeed than something that is overpriced. And this went into some of his thinking from when, you know, at the time, uh, remote control cars were popular, but the problem was they were very expensive. And so in the best way to be able to, get mass adoption of that is to be able to get it into the most hands. So he said, I'm going to gut this and create just one receiver. So all the car could do is turn left. That 
allowed it to get into the hands of a lot more people because it made it into one-tenth of the cost. It created a process that allowed them to uh, then eventually build a library of really unique original content around and sell. So, mm-hmm. you know, to grant is granted, it, you could say with the, a grain of salt that, hey, that doesn't always work. But it is an interesting philosophy, especially now, because you could almost say that the Nintendo Switch is just a PSP with removable Joy-Cons, but it yep. has a Nintendo library and it's in at the right time. The market was ready for it. And there's a saying, being early is the same as being wrong. And that's what the PSP was. And if the PSP had come out tomorrow, it would be the biggest thing in gaming. But they have to now revisit that and sort of adapt for new technologies. And so in the case of the Switch, uh, you know, they did it again. And Nintendo has really thrived on stuff like that. And there was a lot of competitors that came out yep. even at the time. But they couldn't beat Nintendo because... People love something. That, people love what they got used to, and Nintendo kept building a library that was, un, you know, incomparable. And so, you know, Dude, using insane and a simple philosophy, and it's a very important philosophy, especially at a point now where you you sort of think about technology and how it almost feels like technology has become more flimsy as it's become more advanced, rather than vice versa. And that is an irony that's frustrating, and it sort of you know brings to mind the idea of like, you know, why does my BlackBerry from 2004 work, but my iPhone from 2008 doesn't? And it's because the technology was made different. It had different functional usage, usages, et cetera. And as it becomes more advanced, it becomes more delicate, which is why it becomes more flimsy. But regardless, Gumpo Yokoi, very underappreciated. So next time you think about this product and the Switch, Remember, it all started with the guy who was hired at a small company in Kyoto because he wasn't skilled enough to be able to get a job in Tokyo. And that person ended up creating one of the most revolutionary pieces of gaming technology, uh, you know, in the history of the industry. So your beginnings don't matter. It's what you do. Um, So people, anything is possible. Anywho, now... Anything is possible. I think, honestly, Anything for is you, possible. I just got, And just now, mark. on to... It's pretty, pretty positive. I'm just saying, I'm impressed. Oh, I was <laughs> going to say, now Now on to some people who don't think anything is possible. <laughs> they think anything yeah, is possible within these strict rules and regulations, which brings mm-hmm. us all the way to... Is there a sound cue you could use for China that's not racist? Probably not, dude. Hadouken! <laughs> Hadouken! It, it's not. I'm gonna not go sign racist. it. Because <laughs> if anyone has but a right to play that, if anyone has a cosign on that, I mean, shit. That's you. That's true. I, I do. At the same time, I'm thinking in terms of they're hadoking, hadoukening the fucking gaming community with their rules and regulations, and it's really funny. They're letting the world know hey, guess what? You gotta play by our rules. And they're bullies. They're pretty much big bullies. So, uh, yeah, in this final uh, lap, we had, we had start us off. Well, I was just going to say in this final lap, I, I really wanted to talk about these, uh, new rules and regulations that were introduced and released by China's state administration of press and publication. 
Um, as you know, or as you don't know, China had a gaming freeze for a while that Sol and I have covered. And Tencent was in, in the dark for a while and Tencent took a big hit on their revenue and sort of their stocks because all the games they wanted to release in China were currently up for approval. But the SAP, as the state administration and press publication is known as, has offered clarity and new information on the approval process following that six month long freeze that we were just talking about. And they are they have resumed the approval process. So some of the highlights, okay? <laughs> oh my goodness. Some of the highlights is that there has to be an online game ethics committee formed of experts and scholars, which are going to evaluate whether the games submitted follow China's social values. So there's a social pressure and games that negatively reflect China's values will be uh, dismissed. Okay. There's a limited number of games to be to, to be approved each year. So there's going to be less than 5,000 games projected approved in 2019, which is kind of crazy when you think of thousands and thousands of games, tens of thousands of games are released each year. China will have a small subset of that, okay? Games that are copycat titles, including poker and mahjong, or games that include obscene content will not be approved. Games, <laughs> or rather, there are anti-addiction systems targeting children under 18, similar to ones already in use in China. Uh, will have to be introduced in any new game and proven that they exist, meaning every new game has to have uh, options that will uh, limit addiction or help curb addiction in kids. Um, HTML, HTML5 games are now required to go through game approval process, which is interesting. So flash-based games essentially will be under the scrutiny as well. Chinese publishers are encouraged to self-regulate and promote titles which promote China's core values while avoiding misrepresentation of history, politics, or law. Uh, okay, that's a lot that I just mentioned, but I think one of the other things that I didn't is that games that have blood or gore are not allowed in China. Also, the way to get around that in countries that had strong censorship rules or laws were, was to uh, change the color of the blood. You know, Mortal Kombat back in the day changed the color of their blood from red to gray, and gray was sweat, so the players were sweating when you beat the shit out of them and they died. That will not fly in China anymore. They're on your tricks, all right? And it's just uh, kind of crazy. So there's all these new loopholes and rules. As you're developing the game, you actually need to send some <laughs> scripts and materials to get approved, prove that your dialogue adheres to all their laws, uh, forcibly limit the game time that Tencent is already doing uh, for mobile games or any other games coming out for kids under the age of 16. Oh my goodness, like the list goes on and on, but I guess at the end of the day, what I'm trying to wonder is, how is this going to affect the gaming industry? China has 1.3 billion people, okay? They are a huge player in the gaming market. Like an insane amount of revenue comes from Chinese individuals and the country is doing its damnedest to limit the amount of gaming. We've already told you that they have rules and regulations for kids. Uh, Tencent's using the cross-identification method, aka they, they have kids' names cross-referenced with their age to limit their time. Um, countries concerned with uh, people's eyesight going bad <laughs> over time, and they're just they're just doing everything they can to limit gaming in in their section of the world. The biggest thing is like they're doing the Big Brother thing of making sure that all the games 
adhere to their country's social values. So if they represent China in a negative light, they will not allow that game. We're, we're going into politics here a little bit, but like it's just they're curbing the gaming community and the gaming community has to respond in kind. Well, if you're a developer, you know, it, what would you do? Like, well, what, what are you, how are you going to approach this? Look at what Google did. They were like, all right, cool, we'll block that shit. Like, you know. As in like black and- China? Yeah, no, they'll they'll block what China wanted. They'll censor what they wanted. That was oh, okay. a, that was a controversy back when and Google was in China, and those are things that when how will it affect the gaming industry will, will be an interesting question. Which is why I thought and why I had mentioned when when we we're talking about Nintendo being approved by Tencent, just as this is occurring, isn't surprising to me in particular because the fact is that. Nintendo doesn't have a lot of games that have that sort of gore. And if you don't have a large library that has that, what's a better lock for you than to release games just as they're introduced, just as China's introducing, introducing these strict regulations on a particular type of violence in games. It's weird because that makes sense. PUBG and, you know, there's a whole lot of money in there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, There's definitely something behind it that, you know, is difficult to sort of really figure out because as you said, you know, politics is, it's impossible to separate politics from a situation like this because it's literally a political censorship is it's a a literal political action. You know what I mean? And so to be like, Oh, let's not talk about politics and gaming, but let's talk about censorship. It's like, (laughs) I don't know how that works. My friend, those two seem to be tied. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, this is going to be, interesting i don't expect any company to come out and be like well we're not going to release this shit in china anymore because why would they i would be curious to see how it affects games that have already been approved that would be the the most uh probably important question that will come from this so if a game is like pubg is already as popular as it is does that mean it just shut down tomorrow I mean, I, there's a lot of uh, there's no blood in PUBG, to it. so that's good. But like obscene violence, like does that does that go through? We just said Asia. I mean, that means Moral Combat Eleven is not coming out there. Right, exactly. But that's a game that loses out on like a corner, literally a, a quarter rather, not a corner, a corner of the market and a quarter of the market, literally. So it's just it's insane. Almost half the market, really. Like. Also, we should also game clarify that HTML5 games will will be required to go through the game approval process, which I think yeah. might be focused like more on mobile games. Mobile games, and also just like Flash games, games online, anything like that. Like all exactly. games so in general. That, those, are, those are a little different. And then for them to uh, try to uh, crack down on games like poker and Mahjong simultaneously as they're cracking down on violence... Uh, I mean, I get it. Uh, I'm sure gaming has reached a fever pitch in China that they're uncomfortable with. And, you know, as gaming becomes... And you know what the biggest problem is for gaming in China in particular? The social n- nature of it. So, like, it, it, if, you, if, you're, if you're sort of... Government depends on controlling the forms and the type of communication that's occurring amongst the people in there. 
gaming, you're always just talking to people on games. So like they can't control it to that nature. So they're like, let's just pause everything, implement this, and then you guys can get this going again. I guarantee you this will loosen up. This is just a very strict uh, initial warning. And then the reins will loosen over time because China is, if China is anything, they're, they're, they're business practical. And so, you know, it'll change. Capitalist at heart, but socialist. And communist uh, in practice. Exactly. They're, they're, they're an amalgamation of everything, but capitalist is what is at the top of the list these days. So China, All right. sponsor us. We'll do a tourist ad. <laughs> Final thoughts. Do you, think, do you think game developers in the United States are going to tone down the violence in their games to make sure that the games can go through the censorship fucking deal in China? And get approved and released I, in China. I am sure that they'll create different versions of the game, which is that, like, you know, <clears throat> when they create pared down versions of, like, I think I saw a, a, a photo of what the Mortal Kombat 11 looked like on the Switch when it was off the dock and how bad it looked. You know what I mean? You have almost the, the rendering of the game has decreased so much that it's almost like a different game. I'm sure they could take the game out and then go over to Tencent and get money from Tencent and then re-skin the game and reapply it to something friendlier to what's required there and then re-release it there. Because like you said, bro, there's so much money there. Why would they have any interest in not saying yes? They're not right. moral I'm just crusaders. If, if, I wonder if the world at large is going to respond, the world gaming community really, is going to respond and the developers are going to respond to make their games less violent. You know, a yes. lot of these games that they'll we do anything love, to be able to release their games in China. That is the, the, so, the see, sum like that, total of that answer. That sucks to me. I hope it doesn't affect the quality of product that everyone receives, like uh, on a global no, scale. No, I meaning, think if I it's think just it, localized, it, it, okay. Which also it's like commercials, man. Like, you know how many celebrities go out and do commercials you've never heard of out in in different countries. It'll be like That's games. You'll be like, right. you know, the same thing Vinny with that. Vinny chasing up in this bitch. Vinny Chase. Vinny Chase, you know, like George Clooney and those Nespresso commercials. Now everything's global. So now they could figure out a way to, you know, do what they want and then get control of the game's approval process coming into the country because it probably just got way bigger than they expected, way quicker than they expected. And then once they get a control of it again, then they'll loosen up the chains and be like, all right, do your thing again. And then when it changes, they tighten up again. That's how these things work. Ebb and flow, baby. Ebb and flow. Ebb and flow. I think it's just insane. Just a, a lot of It is of insane, but um, it's always relative to what normal, and the answer is not very. But you have anything else yeah. to add on, on that? No, nah, man. I let them know the facts. We let them know our opinions. And uh, with that, that concludes the final lap, baby. Yeah. And, uh, I am going yeah. to get one last thing in. Soiree to Gaming, May 3rd, 6 p.m., Launchpad Huntington, tickets on Eventbrite. You can find all the info at People Like Games, the Instagram, which is rolling that shit out there. Five bucks, tickets available at the door too. Microsoft, Ben & Jerry's, Starbucks, GameStop, fucking Amelia Bakehouse, Comics, you know, fucking a whole lot of people are coming out. It's gonna be great. We're gonna have pizza, we're gonna have drinks, we're gonna have fun, is the basic premise, so. Yes. Check that shit out. Now, Lilo, 
Let's keep this on tradition. Take us home. Well, I don't think there's anything better to say other than plug, 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 plug. Love it. Love it. Uh, thank you for listening. Tune in next week for more reveals and more special news coming from People Like Games. Talk to you later. Peace.